This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey everybody, this is Lane with the Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast. Please go to the website and sign up for a free call with me. I still have some time to talk to newbie investors about you know getting started, whether you want to do private money lending or get, do some turnkey rentals. It really seems like if a 10-minute call really helps pointing people in the right direction because as you guys listen to these podcasts, you guys get this shiny object syndrome, get heading down these paths and just waste a lot of time is what I see reading books or listening to a different podcast here and there. Today, I have Brad Pachia. How's it going? Good. How you doing, Lane? So Brad is a similar investor to me. We're at the same stages of our investing careers. He's out of Oxford, Michigan. He works a full-time job as a mechanical engineer with an automotive company, Go Figure. And he is currently investing in smaller apartment buildings, kind of like myself. And I just wanted to bring Brad on to tell his story and maybe he can help enlighten us how he got to this point. Thanks for having me on, Lane. Yeah, so the first question that we ask everybody here is how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how are you doing it? Varies month to month, but uh, right now I have uh, 112 units, so probably average. I have different ownership levels in all of the units. Uh, some are 100%, some are 50%, so anywhere from 100, eh, call it 100 a door. Maybe something like that. Yeah, and I wanted to point out to the listeners that, you know, this is kind of a game that people like Brad and myself will play. You know, we might be in a building with other investors and the building might be 300 units, but we may only own 10% of it. Exactly. So, I mean, it's kind of a gray area whether you say you're an apartment investor of 300 units or, you know, 10% of 300 is 30 units. But um, back to how you got started in investing. I mean, you, didn't, you just didn't start off with this big apartment building. Stuff, right. No, I, I started in, uh, in houses. So really, I was the accidental landlord. So we bought, uh, I lived in a house and then I got married and we moved into a different house. And uh, at the time, the market in Michigan was really bad. So we ended up renting out our old house instead of selling it. Um, so we could make a little bit of cash flow each month instead of uh, paying, I think it was about a $25,000 bill to get rid of that house. So uh, to me, the numbers just made sense to try renting. So that was my very first uh, start into rentals. Take us back to that time. You know, How old were you? Were you married? Your kids? Um, or- so I was uh, 30 years old, had just got married, didn't have any kids yet. But we were trying to buy a house in an area uh, that would be good for a family that we knew we would be uh, starting soon. So um, that that forced us to move. And then uh, we had to do something with our old house and renting it out made the most sense. So I help a lot of people get turnkey rentals or do something in real estate. And a lot of them say, you know, they talk to people like us and we, we're so convinced that this works because it does work. But uh, it seems like you and I, we kind of fell into it. We're both accidental landlords. What would you say to a, a newbie person who, you know, they're they're looking at these rental properties online and just are unsure about pulling the trigger? I think doing one house is a great way to get your uh, start in into the industry. 
and you can gain some confidence, learn how things are supposed to work, how you find tenants, um, what works as a rental, what doesn't. Um, once you get one going, you can really gain some momentum and see that it's not as hard as it appears. Yeah, and I always tell people once they get that first one, their personal finance habits change. Everything kind of goes to getting that next down payment for that next home. Yeah, totally agree. It uh, It's a snowball effect that uh, once you get going, it it really does become easier the next one and the next one. Brad, this is Han Solo moment question. So if you're not familiar, Han Solo and his buddy Chewbacca from Star Wars were cruising the galaxy as low-life smugglers, but then their paths crossed with Luke and Leia and their life took a pivot point. Describe a time in your life where you had this Han Solo moment, which kind of brought you to today. Well, I would say that first rental is one. And then when I started into apartments, that would be my second one. So uh, the houses got me on one good trajectory. And then once I started into apartments, it accelerated even more. So uh, in my uh, financial life, those are the two pivot points where I can see some growth going with the houses, and then it picks up even more with the apartments. So in every change or pivot point, there's usually some kind of resistance or a catalyst for change. What was the the change to get that first single-family home? Is I mean, you're, you're a mechanical engineer. You're making pretty good money. What was, you know, and you had a comfortable life, I'm sure. What was the, what was the thought process? The... Initially, it was really just to how can we get that new house for my family, but as I started doing that and crunching numbers on the houses, um, you know, I, I made maybe $100 a month on that first house. But then the second one, I saw that I could go out and buy a house for $72,000, rent it for $1,200, make about $500 a month. At that point, I could see that there's there's something to this and you can really make some good money doing it. At that point, was your uh, wife always on board? Um, at first she was a little bit nervous. Uh, I would say she was nervous more in the early years, but as, as I showed that it can be done and it's not really that difficult, uh, she became more and more on board. Is she on board today or is she kind of just, you know, trusts you and you do your own, your thing? Well, she's all, all in, uh, as far as being on board because, uh, at some point I'll be able to stay home and, uh, you know, be a very part-time investor and have a lot more free time to spend with her and my kids. So now, now she's all in. Um, I do most of the investing work. She definitely is fully supportive now. But she's not doing anything like pulling property management lists or calling brokers or doing those kinds of things. No, I, I do the, the heavy lifting in the in the investing and she does the heavy lifting at home, uh, raising the kids and, uh, keeping the house, uh, from falling apart. <laughs> yeah. I guess everybody has to, has to work as a team. I see a lot of investing couples and they just really pick apart the room and they work as a tag team. But what's your thoughts on that? I'm, I think it doesn't need to work like that. Yeah, so. I totally agree. You, you work in your strengths, right? And I have much, a much bigger interest in real estate than she does. So I'm always reading about it, talking about it. She's much more interested in uh, raising the family and keeping our family on track. Yeah, I'm sure you're interested in that too. I, I am, for sure. But uh, we have little kids that uh, require a lot of time and effort. So, you know, a lot of focus goes there from her and me. 
you got these single family homes. How many units did you have? And what was your passive cash flow number at that point when you made the pivot to multifamily? Uh, with the houses, uh, I ended up stopping with houses at about five, yeah, five units. And at that point, I was making, I want to say, maybe 2000 a month on those houses before I started into apartments. Yeah, and that's kind of the where I found myself a little while back ago. And, you know, I, I made the same decision as you to go after larger multifamilies. What was your thought process? Why did you just not stay on, keep on getting 10, 15, 20 single family homes? Uh, it just takes too long with houses. Uh, when you can close on an apartment building and acquire 10 or 50 or 100 units, it doesn't take that much more time to acquire that apartment building. It's more money, yes, but uh, the amount of time and effort, you know, from one house, you can, it's not that much more work to get 10 or 100 apartment units. I know the listeners out there are being like, well, shoot, I'm just going to do what Brad did and, and cut the corner. What yeah. is your opinion? Do you need to do single family homes? Is it a prerequisite to do large multifamily? I mean, some uh, of the gurus say you can go straight to it. I think you could. Uh, I think the right person probably could if they had the right mentor, the right uh, people around them. I, I still think single family homes are a good way to go um, to, to learn the how to rent, how to be a landlord, how to pick out a property management company, um, however your approach is to it. But um, depends on the person, how their risk tolerance, their um, dedication to jumping in. So I, I think that's really a person-to-person -person question. But I, I think it can be done going straight to apartments. From what I see, people are pretty bad about this self-awareness thing, seeing what they're good at and taking good self-assessment of what they can do. And that's why I think you know, getting on a call with me just for 10 minutes and just talking about things, and it seems like the, these blind spots are really things that hurt us. Yeah, definitely. We talk a lot about syndications on this podcast, and most of the time, these offers are only for those with an accredited status per the rules of the SEC. Now sponsoring the Simple Passive Casual podcast is the American Homeowner Preservation Fund, a crowdfunding solution to the mortgage crisis in America, empowering investors to fund the purchase of distressed mortgages. The AHP Fund aims to keep people in their homes by investing in notes. It's an opportunity to earn returns while feeling good about making positive social impact. You can start investing with as little $100. You can learn more at investinahp.com. And if you want the free Burn Zone book, please send me an email at lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. So Brad, what's your worst life or business moment? What did you do after? What was the lesson learned? Uh, I would say uh, my most difficult one was the downturn in uh, 2008, 2009, watching a bunch of people lose their jobs. Um, I was a an engineering supervisor at the time, so I had to let some people go. Most of those people didn't have a plan B, so that really had me uh, seeking out a plan B and real estate was was that for me to get some income coming in even if I don't have a job. That's one of those stories. A lot of people that I come across is that they have some kind of pain point that happens and they're like, screw this. Like, I need mm -hmm. to start building passive streams of income. Exactly. Like a, a common pain point that everybody comes across. Totally agree. It seems like a pay cut that people get when uh, they're used to a big bonus and they change their bonus structure or they get laid off or transferred. Uh, totally agree. 
Right. So what's your uh, two-week experiment and six-month project you're working on? Show the listeners that you two are working on things and always tweaking stuff. Uh, the two-week, I would say, is say that's probably getting my... Uh, I'm going to start real estate coaching here soon. So I'm studying up on uh, on some things to help people buy apartment buildings. So uh, near term, that's what I'm looking to do. A uh, little bit longer term, uh, I'm looking at putting together a, a larger syndication where I pull maybe 10 investors or so to buy a, a larger apartment building. Any experiment, something short-term in, in your personal life or productivity that you're throwing in just to see if it works? Uh, at the moment, I'm trying to stop using my smartphone as much at night when I'm home. So I would say that's one tweak that I'm trying to do now so that I'm more more focused on my family uh, after work and then uh, I can get business done later on. Yeah, something that I realize, sometimes I'll take a sick day and I'll come back to work and, you know, I'll come back to all these emails and it just seems like some of these long email threads, they just seem to work its way out mm-hmm. without you being there. And it just goes to show that there, you didn't need to constantly be checking that email. That's just a time suck. Oh, yeah, it's a complete time suck. I agree. What is your simple passive cash flow number? Imagine if you had two times an amount. Describe your ideal day, detailed routine, and what projects you'd be working on. My number uh, has been changing all over the place. So it seems like whenever I get my passive income up to a certain level, I look at the next level and, and go, it's not that much harder to get to this next step. So it's really hard to pin down an exact amount. Early on in my career, I was thinking just you know maybe half of my income would come from real estate and the other half would come from some sort of self-employment like a home inspector or coach or something like that but uh, as my passive income builds up faster than I expected it to I have a bigger bigger goal each time each time I get to one once I'm to that number which I'm pretty much at right now um, I'm still figuring out what I'm going to do uh, once I go full-time real estate so coaching will be part of that. Uh, family time is uh, going to be number one here soon. Mountain biking, outdoor activities, house projects I just haven't been able to get to. Those are the kind of things I'm working toward. So you're working a full-time job like myself. What's the, the number that you've got to get up to to leave your job? Or is it not really dependent on a certain number? Is it more just you're not the scalable part of your business? Um, yeah, it's not really related to my, I'm a program manager at an automotive company at the moment. It it doesn't, to me, it's my expenses plus a a buffer of, you know, maybe $20,000, something like that. That's, uh, to me when I say I have enough passive income to, uh, quit my job. So that's 20,000 a year? A year. Yeah. Yeah. So something like that to me is enough cushion that I can go out on my own, you know, and that's not counting any kind of uh, coaching or side business kind of thing I do. You know, it's it's a good baseline for me from where I'm at right now. Right, and that, that makes sense, having a family, that, that security to put food on the table. 
Exactly. So something that you've recently thought about burning your cash on for time savings or improvement in quality of life? Um, good question. Uh, one, it sounds funny, but it's just a, a nice printer. Real estate is very paperwork intensive. And when you have a stack of 50 pages for a purchase agreement or a bunch of leases or something like that, I just have a single page at a time scanner right now, which is a total waste of time. So I need a auto feeder printer. <laughs> yeah, I just went to Costco and bought like the $200, $300 big one. I mean, when I probably bought about like three of those junky shoebox mm-hmm. ones, I just said, screw it. I'm just going to go big and get the good one and not have to screw around with it. Yeah, good idea. I have to find out what kind you got. Uh, just it's it's a pretty big one. I mean, it's probably like two feet by two feet. It's It's a monster. Yeah, you're not messing around. (laughs) But paperwork to me in real estate is one of the worst parts. So if you can make that paperwork easier, uh, that's a win in my book. Are you using any kind of VAs at the moment or any other ideas like that? No, because uh, really I I have property managers on all my apartments and I'm down to two rental houses right now. So I don't really have a a big need for VAs just yet. You mentioned that you were trying to sell those rentals. What was the, the thought process there? I mean, for me, I have this portfolio of rentals, but they're cash flowing pretty well. But I'm not really strapped for cash yet. I'm going to sell them when I need the cash. What was your thought process there? Uh, my thought process on those is that I'm my last four apartment deals, I've made so much more money than I do in my single families. Um, because there, there's been a value add to, to those uh, apartments that I've bought. Um, so I, I can make way more money. And then uh, these last two houses, I am managing myself. So I can outsource the management on the apartments and make more money. And it's more passive and I make more money. So to me, that's uh, the way to go. So in case your wife is listening, what is something that you want? to uh, burn your cash on <laughs> you mean fun things or investing things more fun things okay uh yeah. a, a new truck an f-150 a raptor uh that would be nice but uh i don't know if i'm that spendy uh, you don't happen <laughs> to get an employee discount at that one do you uh a supply <laughs> supplier discount but not yeah. a not an employee the raptors yeah. are nice though aren't they yeah they're quite uh they're quite excessive Yes, agree. But, but nice. But so cool. I've been trying to tell people like it's better to lease vehicles, but that Raptor, you just can't lease that thing. And it, and it makes sense, right? Because if you buy that thing, you're not going to gingerly drive that around. Yeah, you're just going to exactly. abuse that sucker. Yeah, they know it too. So <laughs> <laughs> makes sense. Something that you recently changed your mind on, because our ego often gets in the way of greatness. And, you know, we, I get closed minded. What's something that you've thought back recently that you've you change your mind on? I think using the property managers was a pretty big shift for me. Uh, my first three houses I was doing, I was doing the management myself, the management, the maintenance. I was doing absolutely everything. Um, to me, that was a really big shift to give up the, the day-to-day control of the real estate. But man, uh, when, when I did that, I was able to grow so much faster and really, uh, if I'm honest with myself, they, they do a better job than, than I did. 
So it's their profession. They know what they're doing. And this I, is in Michigan. Yes. Yes. Uh, all of my rentals are spread out in Michigan. I've got some in Lansing, some in the metro Detroit suburbs, more down south of Detroit a ways uh, in a city called Monroe, all spread out in Michigan. You know, being boots in the ground, do you see that it's time for investors to go into Detroit, Michigan? It's a good market compared to what I've seen around the nation, but it's becoming harder and harder to find cash-flowing rentals. So um really depends on what you're what you're comparing it to. So can you get cash flow here? Yes. Depends on what you're used to. And I wouldn't say it's uh as great of a bargain as it was a few years ago, where it was a slam dunk. You could get really, really good deals all over the place. But uh if you look hard here you can still get some good deals. Yeah, I mean, part of it is that you're local. Right, right. So far, I've done everything that's uh, right around an hour around from my house um, or less. So, right, that's currently, that's been my radius that I've looked at, uh, where I think I will expand that a little bit in the future. Yeah, something that I've heard talking to other investors is that they see Detroit as sort of like how Houston was in the last downturn where things got bad the whole you know these big areas of just went vacant all the hedge funds bought up huge areas of these these neighborhoods and they're just sitting on them and they're slowly like turning certain pockets on I mean it just seems like random like this circle will be like very good and then these areas will just be like totally blighted and they're just strategically turning them on and pumping up values. So as a local investor, you have to know where those areas are and, and position yourself. Which I mean, if you're not, it, it's almost impossible. Is that what you kind of what you're seeing, or what, what's your take on that? I haven't seen the hedge fund activity as much here, but uh, definitely I agree with uh, each area is growing at a different pace. So each local sub-market in the area, some are doing great, some are just doing okay. Uh, everything's growing right now, but uh, at different paces. So if you're in a good area, you're definitely going to have really better uh, investment returns. Is uh, local is where you're looking for your multifamilies too, or are you, you're looking elsewhere also? At the moment, I'm looking mostly local. Uh, I look out out of town a little bit. Uh, like my sister works in, lives in Little Rock, Arkansas. So I've been eyeing up the market there a little bit. Um, I've got some friends of mine that are looking in Kentucky and Georgia. So I've been helping them analyze some deals. And it's interesting to see the different different markets. You know, the taxes are so much lower down south than they are here. You've got different challenges too, but I'm I'm trying to get a feel for a bigger market. I don't know if the next deal will be close to me or further away, but uh, I'll, I'll let the deal dictate that. All right, so we're here at the last question, which is the Tony Robbins question, where he identifies two large concepts that we're continually struggling to gain perfection at. The first is the art of fulfillment, and the second is the science of achievement. So if you die tomorrow and I were to email this to your kids a couple of decades later when they actually cared what you would have had to say, First, what is your secret or hack to the science of achievement? Do a little something every day towards your goal, and you'll get there. It's uh, there are there's a lot of 
books about this type of thing, like the compound effect or the slight edge. It's uh, do a little bit of something every day, and you'll be impressed by what you can achieve over over some time. Right, and you know, you and I hang out with a lot of other apartment investing newbies, and I guess one book I think of is the Talent Code where they ask, you know, when people get started, what is your expectation of getting successful at this? And they find that the ones that, you know, they think, oh, well, we'll, we'll hit it in three months or a couple months, one with that short-term view, they just don't, they seem to fizzle out, where the people mm-hmm. who are like, no, this is going to be like a two-year, two one-year thing, you know, it'll be still in the beginning. Those are the people that have managed their expectations and have made small incremental gains every day and ultimately achieve success. Yeah, I agree completely. It's uh, it's hard to keep up the fast pace of the people trying to do it in two or three months. But uh, if you can do a little bit of effort over that couple years, uh, you can achieve a lot more. Right. I mean, you don't know how many people I come in contact with are saying, well, I want to get 40 units. And I'm like, well, what do you have now? And like, they don't have anything. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, uh, it's funny how people seem to be looking at step uh, 98 of the process, but just go after step one, right? You know, one step at a time, we'll we'll get you there. Yeah, I think Gary Vaynerchuk says that he sees all these people with these high goals, and, you know, they're not very self-aware, again, and then he goes and looks them up on Facebook, and he sees them, like, skiing every weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Working hard, right? Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> any any kind of uh, secret habit that you do to keep yourself accountable in this way, to keep making that 1% every day? I set goals every year, uh, generally in the 40 to 50 goals, uh, personal goals, uh, you know, family goals, fitness goals, that type of thing. And I review those once a week and just make sure that I am getting that little bit of progress on each one of them. So that that's something I, I am a goal setter and I like to achieve those goals. It makes me feel good about the things I'm doing every day. So that definitely helps me. Do you have any like morning or nighttime ritual to kind of make this a more daily habit or is it for you like you find weekly is what works? Uh, I'm a list maker too. So um, I'm knocking things off a checklist every day. So that helps helps me not forget what I should be working on. So uh, it keeps it in front of me. So I know, you know, I need to call this insurance guy or sign this purchase agreement or whatever it happens to be um, so that I don't forget. I, I forget about things easily if they're not in front of my face. So that helps me. David Allen, the author of Getting Things Done, always says to write it down. Mm-hmm. Yep, completely agree. I've heard like successful people, they always have a list. You know, the list keeps on growing. They never get to zero lists. What is like a way that, how do you think about it to not get overwhelmed by your list or suffer from that anxiety? If you're working toward your priorities and you're working on the most important things on the list, it's not a big deal to me if I push off the uh, non-essential. So if, you know, there's a, a website that I wrote down that I'm just curious to check out that might help me uh, analyze rent for a rental, that's okay. But if I'm not paying a bill or uh, something that's going to have an immediate uh, problem 
or a big impact, like calling someone about a big deal that came across, you really want to hit the important things first. And if some of the non-important things slide to tomorrow or next week, it's it's not a big deal and you don't feel too bad. And for the uh, final question, what is your secret or hack to the art fulfillment? How do you contribute back? I would say having a, a balanced life, you know, so that you're spending enough time with your family, spending enough time on work, having a good balance in your life so that you're not all focused in on one thing and letting, letting everything else fall apart. Um, some people look at it like a balancing act like that, but it's, uh, I think it's really more of a focus on one thing for a little while than focus on another and, uh, just keeping all the important things in your life, uh, at the forefront and, you know, not neglect your family, not neglect your work, not neglect your hobbies, just making sure you're keeping that important priorities in front of you. Well said. And any parting words, and if you want to leave your contact information, people get a hold of you? Sure. Like we were talking, once you get through your first deal, everything is so much easier. So just go get your first deal done, whether it's a single-family house, an apartment building, a passive investment in someone else's deal. Whatever your first deal is, get that, uh, get that done, and everything else will become easier after that. And uh, as far as my contact info, uh, you can email me at B-R-A-D-T-A-C-I-A, so just my name, all one word, at gmail.com if you have any questions or want to connect. And then also I have a Facebook page. uh, It's called Apartment Investors of Michigan. It's a networking group that I put together for apartment investors. You don't have to be from Michigan necessarily. It's just a place for apartment investors to network and I try to post some content on there and some other people do as well just because I don't think there are a whole lot of good apartment networking places out there right now right you and I were talking about this everybody's all wrapped around this flipping and wholesaling stuff and I mean that stuff is a little dangerous in my opinion especially where the market is at these days yeah totally agree yeah, so Brad, next time you get a deal, send it over to me and I'll take a look at the rent rolls and P&L and, and uh, different numbers and maybe we'll put it out to the Simple Passive Cashflow yeah. Hui members. Yeah, that'd be great, Lane. All right, Brad. Well, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks, Lane. Uh, it was great. This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.